0: In the previous song, we sang and invited the Holy Spirit to be here to flood the atmosphere. When you open up the first page of the Bible, there is a similar scene happening. We're told that in Genesis chapter 1, very first verse, Genesis 1-1, that as we looked at last week, that in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. We have no idea when that took place. Some people want to frame the entire Bible within a framework of thousands of years, but we, we do not know when that ex nihilo moment was. Ex nihilo means that out of nothing, God designed the entire universe. I'm confident that there was forethought in, before that moment. I'm confident that the design of the the universe, the heavens and the earth, are so brilliantly composed that God just didn't think of it in a second and do it. I, I have a sense of the scriptures that he thought about it for a very, very long time. It's not until the second verse that we come into what we would know as the earth story. God's focus is now... On the planet in which we, on which we live. It's not a pretty scene when we show up. The brilliance of the first verse is that God created all of the heavens and the earth. And then we show up to a planet that is in mire and darkness. The Hebrew word is tohu wa bohu. It's kind of fun to say. But the reality of it, it wasn't fun at all. We find this in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. The earth was without form and void, Tohu Wabohu, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Tohu Wabohu means an absolute worthless garbage dump. That's the literal translation. So when I read that verse and compare it to the first one, the brilliance of the first verse that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth it can become quite confusing it can not match up and the comparison between this god who uh, this brilliant designer who created the stars and the galaxies and everything that we know and then we just fold right into this next wasteland of worthlessness it doesn't make sense there have been times where we've covered the proposal of how this happened, we won't touch on that today, but we're faced with a problem, a, a, a scenario here at the beginning, where when you look at the earth and it's covered with darkness and it's a wasteland, there's a problem. And the problem is this, that earth in its current state in verse 2 has no potential for growth. There's not a thing that could live in the planet, on the planet at that time. There's not a thing that could grow and flourish. Living creatures couldn't walk on the ground. There was no ground. They couldn't breathe. The atmosphere had not been prepared yet. So seeing this scenario, the great designer of the universe could not leave it as such because God, as we saw last week, is a designer of life. He creates things to come alive. He's created you to come alive, not only biologically and breathing in and out and having a heartbeat, but He's created you to come become spiritually alive. We looked at that again last week. But today we look at this scenario on earth and, and you look and you say, well, there's, there was no light. There was no irrigation system, as we saw last week, how God creates the clouds and everything that rains in the earth. There was no land. There are no, no living creatures, we can tell. And that's a problem for a God of great design. It's a problem for a God of life when there's a scenario that things cannot grow. It's the same for you. If you're not alive in Christ, God is not satisfied. He will pursue you. If you're not growing, God will pursue you. And the picture of the creation story is a wonderful story because, thank God, He doesn't make change in our life all at one time. God, day after day, began to set the stage for life not only to exist on the planet, but for that life to be able to grow. So He begins and says, we need light in order for things to grow. I need to separate the waters from the waters I need to cre- create an atmosphere where things can flourish. I need to also create some dry land, and so the dry land surfaced. We- I need to create bodies of water that will water this dry land. We need to create an atmosphere where God said, I need things to grow. When you look at your own life, if I were to ask a question, I promise you that no one in this room would raise their hand and say Yes. When you, if I were to ask you, the change, any change that has happened in your life, has it happened overnight? My guess is that no one would say, yes, it's happened overnight. Change takes time. This environment setting stage in creation gives us a picture of who God is. That when He's trying to bring life about it in you, and He's trying to bring growth in you, He'll set the stage, and He'll set another stage, and He'll set another stage, so that when you look back, those greatest moments of change in your life, sometimes you can't see them when they're happening and you're going through it. but then you'll look back and think, like, oh, you know, when I lost my job, I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened, but God was clearing off some land for me so that something could grow, dependence on Him, perseverance, whatever that thing might have been when that relationship fell, when I got that sickness, whatever that thing happened, when the great things happen in life, God uses all of these different stages to prepare us not just to to take up life here on on the planet, but to grow from it, to be transformed. Often we run from those difficult tohu-wa-bohu moments. And God said, just hang on. I'm using that because I want growth to happen in your life when we see these when, when we see these stages here's what we're seeing we're seeing a God who is a designer last week we began this collection designed here's why we're taking a look at this if you're designed to be a certain thing then if you're in tune with life you'll pursue that thing let's say for example that I've been designed to be a rock star I've prayed that many times. It hasn't happened quite yet. But let's say that's my design. Then everything I wanna, I'm going to do is be a rock star. If I, my, my destiny is to be a carpenter. Then I want to take some apprenticeship to learn to be a carpenter. Whatever that end goal is, then we move towards that. If we don't know how we're designed, then we won't move toward it. That's why I think people on the planet just kind of migrate in life. That's why we're like I don't have purpose in life because if we understood right why we're here and how God has designed us to be we'll move towards that. Last week we looked at life and how God has designed us to be alive. We blew it. Adam blew it. We all blew it and we brought on death upon ourselves. God was not comfortable and just leaving us that way. And it was so important to him that he said, I'll give up my only son so that you can have life inside. That's how important it was for God. And God, it, it, the, the importance to God of our growth is the same. So today, we're going to look at how we are designed to grow. Everything that God created that in those six days was created to grow, to increase, to get bigger, to get better, to to expand. God did not create one single thing in the creation story that was to remain flat, that was to remain as it was, and so it is with you. This seems like an obvious statement, doesn't it? That we are created to grow because we're growing physically. If you've been in the faith for any amount of time, you're just like, okay, I'm tracking with you. We are to grow spiritually spiritually. But here's how God works. He often positions us first, and then we grow into that position. It sounds strange, because when you get a job, if your job is to, be, to become manager, you have to kind of groom into that. Rarely does someone say, okay, you're manager, now we're going to grow you into that position. In human existence and experience, it works different. But God doesn't work that way. He comes to a Moses and says, you're the leader. And Moses says, I, I, I'm the leader? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a leader. I, I'm a stutterer. I can't even speak. I, I'm a murderer. You, God, you got the history books. You understand I, I, I'm a fugitive. I'm running for people that are chasing me. And God said, you're a leader. And then he grew him up to become that leader that he positioned him to be. Gideon, mighty warrior. He wasn't a mighty warrior. He was a chicken. When you read Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 7, no joke. Read this, read this story. God said, I'm calling you to fight the Midianites who are, you can't even number them. They're so large in their armies. But the first step is, I need you to go and, and do something uh, uh, with your father. And uh, he's built some altars. you got to tear them down. He was chicken. He did it at night. He didn't want to do it. Oh, mighty warrior? I don't think so. But God grew him up. He positioned him first. He grew him up. First Samuel chapter 16. David, I anoint you king. He didn't become king till chapters, chapters, chapters later. He had to grow, grow up into that position. Why are you going through the history lesson, Steve? Let me show you. Last week, we saw that God brings us alive. And when you give your heart to Christ, more happens than meets the eye. And I promise you, if you've been in the faith 50 years, more happened in that moment than you can even grasp, even in this lifetime for the rest of your life. I don't care how long you've been in faith. In that moment when Christ saved us, when we accepted Christ, when we reached out and said, God, I need you. I can't do it on my own. Christ died for me. Christ beat death, as Clay said earlier. He came back from the dead. I'm going to take that gift, and I'm, and and Christ says that second birth, that second life, comes up in us. In that moment, we are positioned. One of the many things that happens. One of the, one of the things that happens is that we are positioned before God as absolutely holy. I'm going to guess that not many people are feeling real holy this morning, perfect, ready to say, hey, by myself, I can stand in front of God and say, man, I've done it all. I've got an A plus. I've lived this life flawlessly. But when we come before God, he's positioned us in Christ to be perfect. He does not see one single iota of a sin. Everything is gone. Everything is washed away by the blood of Christ. I promise you, it's still the best news that you'll hear all week, let's say all your life. If you're looking for better news, I I got some bad news for you. That's the best news you're ever going to get. Quit looking. We call this salvation. The Bible calls this salvation. Now listen, it's stunning that so many Christians come to that moment but never grow past that of any measure. It's like God has created a miniature shrub and he's waiting for that thing to grow. And after year, after year, after year, it's a, it's a shrub and God said, oh no, I didn't put you here just to have spiritual life. I put you here to grow up. Watch, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Peter says this, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it, you may what? Grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Colossians or Romans chapter 8 verse 29. For those that God foreknew, that's our salvation, God knows in advance if you're going to choose him or not choose him, he also predesigned us, predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. In other words, now that you've come, he knew that you were going to come then, but now he's pre-designed you to grow. When you think about growth, there's always this expectation that, some, that you hope that what you're investing is going to grow. God has invested in us. He's hoping that we're going to grow. So you put your money into a 401k. You put your money into a stock. You go up to the, you're going to do day trading, however you do it, and you pick Apple. When you pay your your buck's out to, to invest in the Apple stock, you're hoping that that stock will grow. In fact, you're expecting that that stock will grow. I got a little portfolio. I don't know how large a thing has to be before it's called a portfolio. I think mine's more like a, an envelope, <laughs> a small envelope. So I get my report in the mail, and I'm you know I, it's got a zillion pages. I, these guys could save, probably, I could make more money in my little portfolio if you quit sending me junk. I get books. Do you get books? I'm like, does does anybody read these books? (laughs) Huh? 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 Okay. So you get your report. I don't care what the report says. I want to know the bottom line. Has my investment, has there been growth? Because I'm expecting some growth. You go to the gym. You work out. I'm pressing iron. I'm expecting some time. I've been doing it about three years. I'm still looking for a molehill or something. A half a golf ball, something, you know, I'm expecting some kind of results, right? I'm expecting some growth. You know, this morning, I think it was, I, my wife's sitting over here. I'm like, check this out. Nothing. I'm like, okay, that's what I thought. You know, I'm not getting a lot of feedback here. Like, there, there's not a wowza when Steve flexes his muscle because you can't quite tell yet. Watch this. You ready? Here we go. I'm flexing. Can you tell? Huh? Can you tell? No, there's nothing there yet. I got to keep working at it, but my expectation is growth. There are times in the scripture where we feel the expectation of God. Like, come on. Come on. You've been at this for a long time. By this time, you should have. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, the writer says this, By this time, I mean, you've been at this. Can you hear written into this statement? Oh, for heaven's sakes, by this time, you ought to have been teachers. You've been at this for 20 years maybe as a Christian, and you're not pouring into anyone. You can almost hear God, ah, like that sound, ah. Can you ever hear that from God? Like Ah, come on. That's Greek, by the way. You can find it in the New Testament if you study enough. Oh, by this time, ah, oh, ah! Oh, I thought that you'd be further along. I thought the tree would be higher. I thought the bush would be fuller. I'm expecting that. You hear the expectation of God because He has designed us to increase, He's designed us to grow. You remember Nicodemus came to Christ, He was a religious leader. He came to Christ at night because he was a chicken like Gideon. He was afraid of what others would say. He began to ask questions and Christ said, well, let's talk about spiritual birth and he seemed to be bewildered. Christ says in John 3.10 Nicodemus, you're Israel's teacher and really? You don't understand these things? I mean, you've been at it for this long? Ah, What's why are we even here? You see, God's design is that things increase. We have a, two boys, as most of you know. Our youngest one was in third grade this year. He had a radish project where you go out and you plant the little radish seed. you know, so he comes home after school, and then they, they have it over two or three weeks, and you're supposed to go take pictures of it, and then the, the biggest radish wins some prize, probably a radish cutter. or I don't, I don't know what you do when you win a radish contest, but anyway, he didn't win. Uh, didn't come close to winning, but uh, so he, he's, he comes home after school. He plants the little radish seeds, and dinner time he goes out and looks at them. You know what he said? Ah! I'm frustrated. Dad, I expected these things to grow. I'm like, well, growth doesn't happen that way. But he, he expected that. He had that same expectation. When we look at these verses, we like, Christ had that same expectation and that same frustration. You might remember that Christ was on a walk one day with the disciples. He saw this fig tree from a distance. The problem is that the fig tree wasn't growing as he thought it would grow. He didn't take it lightly. The designer of the universe, the designer of things that should be growing, did not take it lightly. When Christ gets ticked off, when Christ says, ah, we ought to sit up and listen and go, wow, well, that was intense for him. We ought to tune in and plug into that. In Matthew chapter 21, we have the experience recorded early in the morning. As he was on his way back to the city, Christ was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. In other words, he saw the tree, "Ah," and he had that frustration. Is there anyone in this room that hopes I'll never "Ah," again this morning? Is it getting a little tired? I want you to feel The frustration of God. Now, let me tell you a little bit about fig trees that you may not know. You see, we have orange trees here in Florida. And an orange tree takes a while to grow, but an orange tree has leaves first, and then the fruit comes in. That's true for most trees, not the fig tree. The strange thing about the fig tree is that the figs come in first. The fruit comes in first, and then the leaves come out, and the leaves indicate that the fruit is now ready. Christ is walking from a distance. We're told in that passage that because he's God in human flesh, he's a human being, he was hungry. He went up to the tree with a purpose because he was hungry. And from a distance, he said, Oh, goody, there's a tree, a fig tree that has leaves on it, And because it has leaves on it, it has the appearance that it has grown. He went up to this fig tree that had leaves on it but no fruit. And he wasn't only frustrated that it didn't have fruit. Listen, he was frustrated that it looked like it had fruit. But when he got close to it, it didn't. Now I'm going to step on some toes. The challenge with the church, as the world looks in, we act as if we've got plenty of leaves, like we've grown, and then get close enough and, ah, there's not fruit. You guys get ticked off as easy as we do. I'm stunned. Listen, I'm stunned. I'm stunned when I get close enough to 20-year-old fig trees. When I get close enough to Christians who have been in the game for decades. From a distance, they sing the songs. They have the talk. They have the speak. But if you get close enough to bend one of their leaves, watch out. I'm going to take my roots and leave. If you get close enough to certain fig trees, they get their, their leaves all flustered and ruffled so easily. And Christ would say, Really? By this time, you ought to have grown a thicker skin, more patience, more compassion. By this time, there should be all luscious fruit. You see, the fig tree pictures for us God's people, the nation of Israel. Won't go into why that is. But it's as if Christ, who went to the nation of Israel first. Paul went to the nation of Israel first. Peter went to the nation of Israel first. They thought, well, you're God's people for thousands of years. By now, you should be bearing this amazing fruit. So the world looks on like, wow, man. I got it. I got to get a piece of that action. So when we look at this fig tree, you think Jesus was so upset about it. Let me tell you why. What we're talking about is so critically important. It's not just that you should grow and become a better person and a better Christian. Listen. We grow because grown things have purpose. The more mature and and, and Uh, a thing is, the more useful it is to others. See, Jesus was hungry. He just wasn't going up to, to, to hang out with a fig tree. He was hungry. He had a purpose. He went to the fig tree. Listen, there are people sitting in this room that are in desperate need of seasoned trees that could and should be bearing fruit some of you have been in the faith for so long there are people sitting in this room that have not claimed Christ yet as their savior there are some that are sitting in this room that are only two years old in their faith they desperately listen, they desperately need to see seasoned trees, they're pouring it out for God where else will they find it In the world, in the marketplace, on the news, this is it. Right here, this is it. They're looking desperately for that. How long have you been in the faith? And have you grown according to the design of God? Half-grown things are not always useful. I don't know about you, but I hate green bananas. <laughs> they have no use. I don't want to make them in a banana bread, green banana bread. I don't want to put them on my cereal. They're not strong enough to club a burglar. I mean, what use does a green banana have? You know what I'm talking about? Certain things that just don't, that are not f- fully grown, they just don't have use. So I, I came across a, a picture this week of a teeny little dog, just to show you that the, the Coke can is as big as he is. Now I'm about to fin people at teeny little dogs. This is as big as this little guy's gonna get. And you think, well, honestly, what use is there? <laughs> I mean, okay, he's not gonna fetch the paper, let's face it, I'm not being mean. The paper is twice as big as he is, right? And he's probably not gonna be a good guard dog. Um, but I'm sure there are uses for these little dogs, right? I I am compassionate with pets, and so there are, like, like he'd be a good companion. You could take him along with you, you know, you go to the mall. Uh, There are culinary ideas. You could, like, stuff a pepper. Uh, Okay, that's a little too far. Or, you know, hey, it's Fourth of July weekend. You can bring him to a picnic. Uh, That's way too far. All right. All right, take it off the screen. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love when the writers of the scriptures, they leave the conceptual and they get to the practical. Because as human beings, sometimes we love the conceptual. And you know, Paul said, "Hey, if I give everything to the poor and I don't have love, I'm nothing." We're like, "Oh, that's beautiful." I can give my body to the flames like a martyr. But if I have not love, it's worth nothing. to think, oh, I love those beautiful words. But then he turns practical. He says, love is patient. You want real love? It's patient. Like, whoa. Now we're doing practical. Love is kind. Listen, love keeps zero record of wrongs. That's real love. Now you're like, hey, Paul, you're a little too close. I kind of like the conceptual thing. You see, this thing about growth can say, well, you, you should grow. But Peter says, let me give you some practical things to grow in. Watch 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith. That's where we start. That's the starting line of faith. Virtue. That means virtue means start to be a good person. And then we add to virtue, knowledge. We add to knowledge, self-control. We add to self-control, steadfastness. We add to steadfastness, godliness. And we add to godliness, brotherly affection. We add to brotherly affection, love. And when I look at that list, at least for my life, they're getting increasingly more difficult. I love the way that Paul, that Peter says, look, it's not just about faith, but if you've come to faith, awesome, congratulations, way to go. But then you've got to start adding virtue to your life if you're going to grow. And virtue, you're going to add knowledge. Now, listen, this is where I find most of us stop. Christians love, we love knowledge, don't we? We love listening to sermons. We love listening to podcasts. We love reading books. We love watching shows. Man, when it comes to knowledge, oh, man, i got—I got to grow in knowledge But then he says, no, you got to get down with some things. You got to get some tougher practical things in your life because this faith is not all about knowing stuff. Rarely is anybody sitting next to you whose life has actually changed and they grow just because you know a lot of stuff, just because you know a lot of Bible. Listen. Listen. I know a lot of people who can say, okay, we're, we're a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. For God's so love of the world. John three sixteen. I mean, they can go anywhere in the Bible, but I wouldn't want to get closer to their fig tree more than I would a cactus. <laughs> Respectfully spoken. Knowledge is just one single part. And when he gives us this list, it's like, oh, there's more to complete our lives. I made a chart for you this morning. If people were to ask me, uh, Steve what is God in putting in your life these days this is it. if I could put it in a picture this this area this th- mindset of completion that we are put on this earth to grow not in just certain areas but to grow in all areas now I don't know if you're like me there are certain areas that I'm a reader. I like to read. My wife will tell you. If I'm watching TV, I got a book in front of me. I'm reading. I'm multitasking. I I love to read. And so when someone says, man, you got to have more discipline in reading, great. I love that. I I can grow in that. You got to be nicer. I'm a fairly nice guy. I'll I'll grow in that. But then there's that part of the pie chart. You know what I'm talking about? The part that when people start talking to you about it, you're like, "Mm mm-mm, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm out. I'm out. The harder things, the more subtle things, God says, okay, let's start right there. Gideon, you're a chicken. Why don't we make you a warrior? Can you see the glaze in God's eye? Here's a guy that's a scaredy cat. Let's make him a mighty warrior. God's sense of humor is really whacked sometimes. Here's a guy that's 99. Let's make him a dad. Here's a guy named Moses that's so impulsive that he kills somebody. Let's work on him so he becomes the most humblest man in the planet. The book of Numbers. Really? If we think we can hide that part of the chart from God, think again. If you're a scaredy cat, like I was a scaredy cat at one time, God's coming after you. He's like, oh, we're going to put you in some environments where we're going to get that pie chart. This, listen, is true growth. It's not just growing in the areas that you like to grow in. Most likely, it's going to be in the areas that you hate. Ah! You want to do that with me? It's kind of fun. Only count of three. One, two, three. Ah! Doesn't that feel good? This is why in Ephesians, in chapter 4, we read these words. If we were to complete the chart, that we are to speak truth to one another as I'm speaking to you today so that we will watch in all things, grow up, in all things, grow up, not just in some things, not in the things we want, not in the things we're comfortable in growing, but to grow up. When I'm working out, for some reason, I dig push-ups. I hate anything that I got to do this with, you know, those backward deals, I hate them. Guess what? When nobody's looking, I don't do them. (laughs) When I'm around my buddies in the workout group, they're like, okay, you better do that, right? They're, they're looking for the things they know I'm sneaking out of, and God is that way. We're going to grow you up in all things into Him who is the head, that is Christ. And then Colossians 1:28, which has become one of my favorite verses, it is Christ whom we proclaim, admonishing is the word here, warning, in other words, speaking truth again to everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom. Why? So that at the end of time, we may present each other. Paul is saying, I may present you to Christ. Not just half-baked, not half-grown, but have grown and matured, complete in all areas. We take it so seriously here at 360. Honestly, I know when I mention the word exchange and discipleship, that's a foreign language to many of you but it is designed, it's a one-to-one track where you go together for, for about a year and a half with another person, one-to-one, someone discipling and someone being the disciple, and you go through, and as you're doing this, you're learning in all different areas because in a single Bible study, we can't get that, and we just don't learn from one area. We're trying to uh, grow in all areas. It's an area of completion so that when you become complete, you know what you are? Useful, effective. I'm gonna go back to the list that we found in Second Peter, if I might. Second Peter chapter one, I'm gonna back up just a little bit. Watch. When Peter gives us this list, when you look down about two thirds of the way down, Peter says if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in all of these things in increasing measure, they keep you from being. Ineffective and unfruitful. Listen. Listen real carefully. God has put each and every one of you on this planet not just to suck in air, to live. He's put you on this planet to be effective. He created orange trees to be effective, to create oranges that will provide food for others. Every single thing in this creation story had a purpose, and so do you. If you're a Christian, and you think that all it was was for you to try to get your past fixed, it's not the story. If you came to Christ with loads of guilt, and you came like, oh, thank you, God, that's done. Woo, I got spiritual life for you, but that's not the purpose. God saved you to use you. God brought life to you so that you would grow, and not just to grow, but to be effective in other people's lives. You know, when I look at the art world, and you look at colors, for example, there are three primary colors. You know them from the old crayon box. Red, yellow, And blue red yellow and blue now when we take our kids to a restaurant they get the kids menu and then they get the little kids box right of crayons it's only got those three those primary ones because you can combine those colors and you make other colors why am I saying this see I think when we say you should spiritually grow we sometimes limit ourselves to what that means. Oh, I need to study the Bible more? Sure, go for it. Need to pray more? Sure, go for it. Uh, Those are fundamentals. But we can grow in so many more areas and so many more shades if we just lean into God and say, where do you want me to grow now? Can you imagine in your wildest dreams your son or daughter, I can't, coming to you and say, hey, dad, where do you want me to grow in now? Wouldn't that be amazing? I think I'd have a heart attack right there. Hey, dad, I know I've been Not behaving right over here, but I really want to grow in that. That would just, like, knock me off my feet. I would never need another Father's Day gift the rest of my life to creatively say, let's think beyond the three basic colors of growing. Because when you look at those colors, each of them, I was told this morning in a computer in the 8-bit world that each of those colors have 256 shades. There are 256 shades of yellow, there are 256 shades of red, there are 256 shades of blue. So when you combine all those and you multiply 256 times 256 times 256 and you think, how many colors are there? Just in the 8-bit world, there are 16,777,216 shades and different colors. And you only thought life was about that little crayon box that you got with the kid's menu. In other words, we think out of the box, God, where would you want me to grow next? Instead of limiting myself just to small things or basic things of growth. Many of you know I have a music background. There are in a... The musical alphabet only has seven letters, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, seven. Why? Because that's all they thought musicians could handle. Beyond that, it'd be too complex, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, that's it. There's no H, there's no R, there's no X in music, there's just seven. Have you ever considered all the music in the Western world, how much variety there is just with seven letters. I'm going somewhere with this, maybe, <laughs> who, who knows with me, but I'm going somewhere with this. We limit ourselves into how we, we think we can grow. We put ourselves in a little jar like a, a, a plant and it only grows within that jar. So I was thinking about music. I was saying, boy, God, when he created, he said, man, let's make kangaroos. And they'll grow and they'll bounce around. Let's make avocado plants. That'd be cool. That that nice shade of avocado green. We can make rose bushes. Man, they'll grow. How about let's let's make a dolphin. They'll be swimming around. And God, when he's creating the store, you can feel just the creativity. He's like, grow, grow, grow in different areas. Ask me how you should grow. I'll tell you. So when I'm listening, I'm thinking about music. Just seven notes. I want you to engage with me a little bit and have a little fun. Do you you feel something coming here pretty soon? I want you to engage with me. If you just took seven notes of music, think about all the different styles. You know, if you were a composer, you might think, I don't know, seven notes. I, I think everything's been written before. Not so fast, my friends. Take a listen. Oh, yeah. Just seven notes. Just seven notes. Yesterday all my troubles seemed so far away. Here we go. wish that I was on old Rocky Top Down in the Tennessee hills Well, we're moving on now, moving on There's seven notes. All of that variety. Okay, where are you going, Steve? Absolutely nowhere. I just wanted to have fun with it. I'm just kidding. What if you were to say to God, okay, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying and everything. I want to be a better conversationalist, God. I'm tired of going to lunch with someone just saying, okay, where do you work? How many kids do you have? How many grandkids do you have? Cool. Really great to know you. Really? We're learning on a staff. We're reading through a book together. Let's grow in the way we talk to people. Let's become story collectors. Let's sit down to lunch with someone and say, what was the most pivotal moment of your life? What was the most painful part of your life, and what did you learn from it? As Christians, listen, we could greatly learn how to be people people since Christ was. Christ showed up, and he saw a woman at the well Say, let's talk about your past. He didn't ask her what her profession was or where she got her top, her shirt. Hey, nice shirt. Where'd you get it? Really? He had meaningful conversations. Don't you think the Christian world? Is becoming more and more secluded and more isolated when Christ said, Don't run from the world, go into the world. But you got to grow and be able to ask reasonable questions, meaningful questions, deeper questions. This is not just about learning how to read your Bible. This is about God, give me a new shade to grow in. Let me grow in things of knowledge. Let me learn a little bit about our culture. Maybe I could have a conversation about politics with someone and then bring Christ in. You know, Paul went to the city of Athens. The reason he went in the city of Athens is because he was one big fat orange. What? He had grown culturally. He he had grown to the place that he could talk to other people about their religions intelligently and it opened the door for him to talk about Christ. When we look across the table at people who know more than we do because they've read more about politics and culture and and other religions and whatnot, and we don't know anything, we just say, well, I'm just here to talk about Jesus, guess how far that's going to go? They just think we, by blind faith, just picked the first thing we came to. You see the shades that I'm talking about. These are shades of growth that we often don't touch on as Christians. When many Christians are asked to defend their faith, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. The lady that lives across the street from me, she would be labeled a pluralist. She believes a little of this, a little of this, a little of this, and a little of this. And she's more astute at being able to tell you why than most Christians I know. I hope you understand why I'm saying this to you. We are called to be effective, not ineffective. We need to get beyond the basics of knowing the word, which we should, of getting past the basics of prayer, which should just be a given, to areas that we can become more effective. Perhaps there are shades in your personality, that you get ticked off really easily. God would say, I'm picking that. Let's grow in that. Okay, if you want to grow in that, why don't you put yourself in a lab, put yourself in some situations that would easily tick you off and see how you do. Begin to build a little muscle so you can see some strength. I hate crowded kids' place like Chuck E. Cheese. You know what I mean? It's like Chuck E. Torture. The Lego store. I've almost killed people with a Lego. Well, they, you know, like, ah, it's like loud, it's noisy, there's, it's chaotic. I'm like, give me a Starbucks and a book. I'm so happy. Anybody with me? Especially if you're parents. All the parents are like, yes, sir, I'm with you. If that's my deal, then I put myself in that environment. Listen, I shared with you a, a couple of years ago. God tapped my little pie chart and said, Steve, you're going to have to raise up some courage. In your position, you'll be placed in times where you've got to look people eye to eye and speak the truth. You're going to have to increase in courage. I happen to be in a small group that's all men, and we put ourselves in places and labs that create the need to be courageous, to repel off high places by yourself, that ain't my gig. I, I, I'll repel off my bar stool at Starbucks. I'm comfortable with that. And people look at it and like, that's kind of silly. It has not been silly for me. It has put me in a lab that I needed to grow courage, and I, you put yourself in that position if you're serious about growing in the areas that you wouldn't normally grow in, different shades of growth. Maybe you have a challenge with being consistent. Put yourself in a position where you have to be consistent Take care of someone. Grow a plant for heaven's sakes. And you know it's gonna die unless you're consistent. Join an at group. Join a small group and say, man, I'm I'm really inconsistent. Great, make that move. Whatever it is, don't limit yourself to just one shade of growth. Expand your horizon because there's jazz and classical and bluegrass and country. No, there's not country. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I've offended older Christians, people with small dogs, and people who like country music. I'm doing good. Stay tuned. I'm going to get to you if you haven't offended you yet. (laughs) Let me say this as we close I want you to think for a second in your life back to that moment where you would say, Boy, that was a big change. That was tough, it wasn't easy. But I had had a significant amount of change for the good. Now, let me ask you a question you can answer in your mind. Were you alone? Most people will say, no, I wasn't. Most of the change that takes place in our life does not come from a sermon on Sunday morning. Although pastors would love to believe that, that I could deliver this profound and wise word. And you're seeing now that is life-changing right there. It's not true. It's not true. My job is only to start the wind blowing in a direction, but change happens when someone else comes along beside you and they say, hey, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. If you have a good enough friend who loves you enough to be honest with you, that is a true friend. And that friend will help you get over what we're coming to know in our staff as the Michael Scott syndrome. You know Michael Scott on The Office? Blind spots all over. Couldn't see a thing if it were coming head on. All of us have those blind spots. And if we're going to grow, we need other trees next to us that will grow. You remember Paul had a young protege. His name was Timothy. And and Paul wrote to Timothy in the very last letter that Paul ever wrote. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this. Now, Timothy, you've observed my teaching. You just didn't hear about it. You just didn't hear a sermon. You've observed my conduct. You've observed my aim in life that my purpose is Christ. I just didn't teach you about these things. Timothy, you saw it in me. I was a larger tree standing beside a smaller tree. This is the design of God. Timothy, you saw my patience when I had to deal with people that were being silly. You saw my love when people were being hateful. You saw my steadfastness when everybody around me quit. You saw that. Timothy. You saw my persecutions. How several times I was whipped with 39 lashes. My back had blood running down it. I didn't tell you about it. You saw it. You felt it. You heard my cries. You heard me scream. And you heard when they were lashing my back. Paul probably said out loud that Timothy could hear For you, Christ. (laughs) For you, Christ. (laughs) Christ. (laughs) For you, Christ. This wasn't just concepts. This young tree named Timothy, he saw it. He experienced it. You see, you've seen my suffering, the things that happened to me, Paul said. Listen, would to God, would to God that we would have more stronger trees in the garden of Christ. Because there are younger trees sitting right in this room today. This is it. There's no other garden. This is your garden. If this is your church, this is your garden. And there are young trees. I'm not saying a few. I'm not saying 20. I'm saying there are many young trees that are waiting, that are desperately needing to see a larger tree next to them, saying, I got some fruit that I can just Offer to you, and it's not half baked. That is the purpose of God's design. This is not just to grow up to please Christ, He's got a design. When He created the garden, my supposition to you is this there were young trees, there were medium trees, and there were full grown trees with fruit. How do you know that? Okay just logic. Adam had to eat on the first day. He couldn't wait eight years for an orange tree to produce fruit. He needed it right then and there. So I got a question for you as we close today. Do you know the only plant on the planet that doesn't grow? Do you know which type of plant on the planet doesn't grow? An artificial plant. An artificial plant. Do I need to ask the next question? Do you know what kind of Christian doesn't grow? An artificial one. It's not the real deal. It's not what Christ created us to be. I went out back on my porch this morning and I took a picture so you got a visual. That's on my porch. That is the greenest plant I've ever had in my possession. It's artificial. <laughs> you know why I love this plant? It's easy. You see, if you don't grow, it's easy. I don't have to water that. I love that. I love that I don't have to water it. I don't have to get the right angle of sun. You know, when you go to a garden shop and you go, okay, it it needs three hours of afternoon sun. I'm like, does it need a diaper? (laughs) Honestly. Let me go out and stroke it in the afternoon as it's getting the right angle. That thing's been in the shade for, you know, and, and it's been there, watch, 12 years. 12 years. But here's the problem. It looks exactly the same today as it did 12 years ago. How about you? Ah, that scare you? We don't, listen, we don't want Christ looking at us after years and years and years and years and we look like we did when we first started and to hear the voice of Christ, ah, ah, man, I needed you to grow because this young sprout is in desperate need of you. I love it. When a seasoned tree says, ah, I'm sorry. The impact that that has on younger believers. You see, growth, being big and tall doesn't mean you're perfect. It means being honest and transparent. Just this week, several times, I saw some pretty big oaks say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry the impact that that makes on younger people. For those who have grown, to grow to the place where you're transparent. To grow to the place where your skin is not so thin, but your skin is, you have perseverance, that you're not getting ticked off about the first thing and, ah, and get ruffled my leaves. To show that, you know, it didn't go my way, but hey, it's not about me, it's about Christ. It's about the team. What that does to a younger believer is powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. I'm looking at those who came to Christ recently. It's powerful, isn't it? If you would say, do you need older Christians, bigger trees in your life right now, what would you say? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. When I came to Christ, I'm like, give me a big tree. Give me a big tree. Listen, and it was hard to find. It hard to find them. God is a designer, man. And nothing he made was without purpose. I'm thankful for every person sitting in this room that is alive in Christ. Do you look any different this year than you did the last? Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us, God, of your expectation that we are to grow. In a culture, God, that is so me-centric, you see it, you know it, you've seen it for years and years and years, cultures along the way that just become me-centric. In a me-centric culture, God, We often even think that our growth is for ourselves so that we have a greater depth with you, that we have greater peace, that we have greater knowledge. Today, you remind us of a different message, that we are to grow up for the sake of others. We are to grow up, God, to be effective and productive. You can see every heart sitting in this room, God. I wonder if you could reveal it to us in a minute, if, if, if you could show us how many young trees are sitting here right today who are in desperate need, not of perfect people, not of perfect Christians. There isn't such a thing. Not of just knowledgeable Christians, but productive and seasoned Christians who've learned how to be compassionate, who've learned how to be forgiving, who've learned how to invest in others, who've learned how to, even after years, be able to say, I'm sorry, who even after years are still pushing with passion to follow you. I wonder, God, in this garden we call 360, how many younger plants would be impacted? How many there are? I think we'd be shocked. Father, you've designed us not only to be alive in Christ, but designed us to grow. So what may we say honestly before you, God, if we haven't grown according to your design, we're sorry we're sorry. But today is a new day. There is new possibilities. There are new shades of colors of growth. There are new styles of growth, like music. God, may I pray for this church, especially I'm going to pray this morning for those who have been in the faith for quite a while, years. And I pray that they would lean forward and simply ask you, and simply ask a tree next to them, a trusted friend, who they're safe enough, what areas do you think that I could grow in more? I pray, Father, that as seasoned Christians, we will take seriously that we've been planted on this earth for other plants and not just ourselves. I pray, God, also today for those young plants who desperately need another stronger tree next to them. And I pray, God, that they will be able to find them, that they won't try this this mission, this journey, this spiritual journey, solo commando, to do it on their own. I pray, Father, that they would learn, as Timothy learned, by not just hearing, but observing I pray, Father, for those that are new to this garden, for those who have that are still seeking entry through Christ. I pray today, God, specifically, that they will understand that you will give them understanding through the mystery of the Holy Spirit that Christ is the only gate into the garden, that no one else on this planet has ever died for the sins of the world no man has ever come back from the dead like Christ to conquer death and sin. And there is none other that, whose depth of love is so enormous. I pray, we pray as a church for those of us that are in this garden of life, this body of Christ. We pray for those who are sitting here today who need to come in. We pray that your love will draw them so that it will just be irresistible. Father, thank you for designing us in a way that has purpose. I pray, God, that we will lean forward and listen to the design that you have for us to grow in Christ. Amen. Amen.